Thank you for that. Appreciate that. If you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter number eight. John chapter number eight. And I want to preach on finding freedom. You know, this is our nation's 247th anniversary of freedom. And um, actually, it, it actually started on July 2nd. Today is July 2nd. And 12 of the 13 colonies actually voted to become independent from Great Britain. And uh, leave it to New York to be the one outstanding, abstaining vote. But uh, nonetheless, I digress. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, while Thomas Jefferson originally drafted the Declaration of Independent, uh, Independence, John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, Roger Sherman, and William Livingston helped finalize the document, and uh, they completed that on July 4th, and July 4th has been our nation's um, birthday, per se, that we celebrate our independence and our freedom. And uh, that's really when our independence from Great Britain was declared and started. And understand this, that freedom is under constant attack. That's why we have a military. That's why we have a voting process. Because, uh, listen, freedoms can be attacked from without and freedoms can be attacked from within. And uh, we understand that, and that's certainly important. And my point in all of this is, um, is not to, to preach a political message this morning, but to celebrate our, our nation's birthday of freedom and to parallel that with Christianity. In that we sang a song that, uh, that God is the author of liberty, and we ought to thank God for that. But understand this as well, that our liberty in Christ is also something that can be, uh, that is under attack. I'll say it that way. And, uh, and it's something that we ought to be concerned with. And uh, understand, I've preached this many times, and, and in our church, as you're looking for John chapter number 8, uh, that liberty does not mean that we can embrace the sin of the world. It, that's not what liberty is talking about in the Bible. Uh, we will see that this morning. Uh, but liberty rather is to break free from the bonds of sin and to be able to choose to follow Christ. And what a great liberty that is. And Jesus uh, gives us that liberty. In John chapter number 8, as Jesus is discussing with the disciples, uh, he, he's talking with them. Uh, not the disciples, excuse me, but rather with the Pharisees. And, and John chapter 8 is a very long dialogue that goes on and on. And I don't want us to get into all of that dialogue, but rather I want us to look at just a small portion of that and, and pull the, the truth, the nugget of truth that Jesus gives uh, during his discourse with these uh, Pharisees. Look in John chapter number 8 and verse number 30. The Bible says this, and as he spake these words, note this, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Boy, what a great verse. Let's stop right there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you 
for your goodness to us. We thank you, Father, for your many blessings. Thank you for the privilege that we have to be gathered, Father, in your house on a Sunday and worship you open, openly and praise your name and open the word of God and openly declare everything that you've done to, for us. And Father, we certainly thank you for the liberty that we have in this country to be able to do that. God, as we celebrate the 4th of July, may we be reminded, uh, God, of not just the liberty that we have in America and the celebration that we, uh, we are a free country, but God, also that we would be reminded of our liberty that we have in Christ. And Father, we'll certainly thank you for that. God will give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As we look at this passage, understand, as I've already kind of given you the background, that Jesus is dialoguing in this passage with the Pharisees. And they are going back and forth. And, uh, and really, he is talking to them, and, and he's, he's about to drop a bomb on them that, uh, that, listen, you're of your father, the devil. That's where he's ultimately going to go. And, and you could imagine how well that's going to go over with them, because uh, they are not going to like that. But during this whole discourse, while he is uh, talking with the many Pharisees and even other people, you could imagine in, in a public discourse, in a public debate like this, that a crowd would begin to gather. And there would be those that are, are, are just, they're, they're just, man, they're there to, they're, it's a fight, you know, and when a fight breaks out, there's those that are going to just spectate. And that's those, they're there. And, uh, and they're watching this discourse as it takes place. And, and notice that the Bible says this in verse number, uh, verse number 20, or verse number 30, the Bible says, and as he spake these words, Many believed on him. What were the words that Jesus spoke? Go with me back just to verse number 27 for context sake. And uh, we'll not take time to go through all of this. But understand the Bible says this in verse number 27. They understood not that he spake to them of the Father. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am he. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And understand this, uh, as he's talking with them, he is pretty much openly telling them, Hey, I am the Christ. I am from my Father. And I am God. That is what he's telling them. And that, of course, did not set well uh, with many of those Pharisees. But as he's discoursing with them and talking with them, in verse 28, he says this, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I... I am he. And he's telling them basically, right now you don't understand who I am. Right now you don't understand uh, who it is that walks in your presence and is here with whom you're talking and with whom you're arguing. But there's going to come a day when I am lifted up. What's he talking about? Hey, when Jesus was placed on the cross of Calvary, he was lifted up. Matter of fact, he had prophesied that that would take place. Go back with me in, in John chapter 3 in verse number 14. It's just some verses that we know well. Just back a few pages, John chapter 3 and verse number 14. And Jesus is talking with uh, Nicodemus and as he's talking with him, he says this in verse number 14, John three fourteen. 
And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And he's telling them, hey, uh, listen, that I will be lifted up, just like Moses lifted up that serpent in the wilderness. Well, what's he talking about? He's talking about an Old Testament passage when the Jews were afflicted by serpents that were coming in and, and, uh, and biting them and, and causing people to die. And really, it was a result of their own sin. And God commanded Moses, hey, make a serpent and lift that thing up in the camp that if any man will look to that serpent, he shall live. And really, we sing that song, look and live. My brother, live. Look to Jesus now and live. And the idea is that, hey, they would look uh, not to a serpent on a pole, but rather past the serpent towards heaven and be reminded that God is the one that saves us. And Jesus is making that same association with Moses, the historical uh, truth there, and, and applying it to himself that if I be lifted up, uh, that he will draw men to himself and that people will realize. And notice this, uh, you can just note it down in Matthew 27, 54. The Bible says this, this is at the crucifixion of Jesus. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly saying, truly this was the Son of God. And they recognized, they realized, you know what, uh, this really was God. He, he made a, a claim that he was God and uh, they chose not to believe it. But in reality, uh, it, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he did die on the cross. And what I'm saying is this, the Bible says there in, in verse number 30, uh, as he spake these words, many believed on him. They were saying, hey, this is the Christ that will come. This is the sacrifice. And they did believe that he was God. And we see their faith that was placed in Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, salvation is by faith. It's not by works. The Bible says that in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I'm just saying that, listen, uh, that, that uh, our salvation is not based on merit, is not based on our good works, is not based on our religious works. These Pharisees, many of them, boy, it was all about religious works. It was all about, uh, boy, you, you go through the Bible and you see time and time again the Pharisees will boast and brag, well, I, I, I tithe of everything that I have and I fast twice in a week and I do this and I do that and they were always boasting about their righteousness. But the Bible's very clear and Jesus even said, hey, listen, it's only through Jesus Christ. As Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Listen, it's only through Jesus Christ that anybody can be saved. And he loves the lost. And we see this in this passage. The Bible is very clear that, uh, that many, the Bible says, believed. They put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ that day. 
And they said, this is Jesus. This is the Son of God. And they were able to spot that. And many of them believed, listen, the path to finding freedom starts with faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other way to find freedom. It starts with Jesus Christ. Look in verse 31 as we continue in our text. The Bible says in John 8 and 31, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. So he stops and he was talking with the Pharisees. He was talking with them about the fact that he is God and that he lived for his father. And, and, and he's discussing all that. But after the Bible says many believed on him, he stops talking to those Pharisees for a moment and he directs his attention to those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he says this in verse 31, If ye then continue in my words, then are ye my disciples indeed. Let me just stop here and say this, that uh, salvation is a one-time act that takes place the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It is step one. And this is a description of step number two, and that is following or becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. Not everyone that is saved becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that's sad. They ought to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm not advocating that you should be saved and then not follow Christ. Obviously, that would be a bad example. But, but the fact remains that there are those who do trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, but they sadly do not follow God in their life. And Jesus desires them to follow him. So he stops for a moment after these have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and he directs his attention to those who are saved and those who are born again. And he tells them this in verse 31, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And we see uh, what they're called. He says, ye are my disciples indeed. What is a disciple? Well, the dictionary defines a disciple as one who receives instruction from another. A scholar, a learner, especially a follower who has learned to believe in the truth of the doctrine of his teacher. And so uh, to be a disciple, hey, listen, they've got to be following after Jesus Christ. That's what he says. Listen, labels are very important. We live in a day and age when people don't want labels. Um, every, on social media, occasionally you see this. Uh, we belong to several neighborhood groups or things like that. And, and on occasion you see somebody asking, uh, can somebody recommend a good non-denominational church? And I, I don't ever comment because I just, I probably would blow up the whole thing and they just kick me out. So I just don't comment. I don't comment a lot on that stuff. But anyways... I think, why would you want a non-denominational? Why would you want something with no labels? Let me ask you this. When you, you, you go home, husbands, you go home and you do this, all right? You go home to your kitchen. You get yourself in real trouble. Don't really do this. Go home to your kitchen. Go in, in the cupboard where all those cans are and take all those labels off. 
the green beans, the soup, the, the I mean, take, take them all off. Take them all, then shuffle them up. And see how happy your wife is about that. You know what's going to find, you're going to find out labels are very important. You want a better illustration? Uh, now definitely do not do this. You go to your medicine cabinet and you pull off all your labels. And you find out, ooh, no, no, no. Labels are very important. They tell you what you are supposed to know. They give you the things that are inside of that thing. And listen, having a label on our church sign that says Anchor Baptist Church lets people know that we are Baptist. And there's nothing wrong with having labels. Matter of fact, we need labels to help define. Let me just, I'm off track a little bit, but let me, let me tell you a story uh, about a friend of mine. Many years ago, he used to go to a church that was a non-denominational church and, and he went to that church and eventually uh, they took and they, they added a label to their church. They put Baptist on the sign. That's backwards from what we hear. But they put Baptist on the sign of their church and they decided we're going to be a Baptist church. So they added it to it. You know what he found? He told me, he testified years later. He said, you know what we found? When we put Baptist on the sign of our church, that we weren't having to fight all the doctrinal fights that we were constantly having that were infiltrating our church. All of these other groups would come to our church because they did not know that we were Baptist, and they would bring with them all these other doctrines that were not aligned with the Bible, and we were constantly having to battle and push out all of this incorrect doctrine. So when we put Baptists on the sign, we no longer had to fight those battles. People's, people didn't come with all wrong. Matter of fact, people came and they knew, oh, this is a Baptist church. So labels are very important. Listen, as we think about labels, Jesus stopped here and he was defining a label uh, in Christianity. And he was labeling them as disciples. Listen, labels are really important. It bothers me, and I heard it just this week, and it, I hear it probably weekly, uh, that people will use the word Christian. Boy, it just bothers me. Because what the world considers Christian today is not Christian according to the Bible. Go with me to Acts chapter number 11 really quick. Acts chapter 11, save your spot here in, in John chapter 8 as we'll be back here. Acts chapter number 11 and verse number 25. Acts chapter number 11 and verse 25. We're not going to read the whole thing for, for sake of time, but you go back and you can study the context yourself. Acts chapter number 11 and verse number 25. The Bible says this in, in Acts chapter 11, verse 25. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Now what we can understand about this passage is, listen, this is where the term Christians comes from. It comes straight from the Bible. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Uh, now I will say this. I think that they, they called it that kind of in a mockery of, hey, you're running around acting like little Christs. And so therefore, in the world's eyes, they were trying to mock them. But in the disciples' eyes, they're like, we'll take it. 
That's our goal. That's our life's desire. That's what we desire to be known as, as Christ-like followers. And notice who they were calling that. They weren't just calling. That term has come to be mean uh, to, to mean today that anybody that is associated with a Christian religion, that would be uh, something that has to do with the Bible. If you don't use the Bible, then you're not considered a Christian religion. Uh, if you use the Torah, you're not considered Christian. If you use uh, these other books, uh, the Book of Mormon or uh, some of these others, they do not consider them Christian. But can I tell you this morning that Christian ought to be applied to those that are disciples of Jesus Christ. And a disciple is somebody that is following Jesus Christ in their life. So that's a label that Jesus Christ himself defined for us in John chapter number 8. And then Christian was further defined for us. I want you to notice here in this passage, who did they call Christians? It was the disciples, those who were following Jesus Christ. You could say that the term Christian and disciple would be synonymous because those are them that are following and acting like Jesus Christ. And so we see that as we look here uh, and we understand that they were called disciples back in John chapter number 8. Jesus said this in verse number 31, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And Jesus was defining that. What are the conditions for being a disciple? Well, he has two conditions. And again, we're not talking about salvation. Understand, we're defining discipleship. We're defining following Jesus Christ, not salvation. Salvation took place uh, prior to that, and now they're following him, and he's encouraging them, hey, follow my word. The two conditions that he gives here in these verses, look with me in verse number 31. He says, if ye continue in my word. Boy, the word of God becomes really important. And it ought to be important for every Christian. Uh, listen, we advocate, we encourage you to read through your Bible uh, in a year. Why do we do that? Because this book is the single, solitary, most important book in the entire world. And you hold it in your lap. Hey, we ought to be familiar with it. The author of the universe gave us this book. The, 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 the God, the all-powerful God that created everything that exists gave us his written word. That's important. The other day I was, I, I have a weed eater that I brought back from Italy. And um, the other day, I, it was broke for a while. I finally got it fixed and I was out weed eating my yard. And, and as I was weed eating, um, I, I was like, smells a little funny. I thought, actually smells a little hot. And I, I, I'll be honest with you, when I brought it back, I, I didn't remember what I did with the manual. Probably just tossed it aside. And I know it uses mixed gas, but I, I can almost guarantee you that I didn't know what the mixture was, and so I just mixed a little gas and oil myself, however. Now, as I was using it, I thought, I don't think I got that mixture right. I don't think there's quite enough oil in that gasoline. And that's why I think it was smelling a little hot. And I was in my house the other day, and, and I looked on the bookshelf, and I said, there's my book for my weed eater. I pulled it off the shelf, and I'm looking through it, and I found the right oil mixture. I'm going to make sure I got it right. I haven't burned up the engine yet. 
But the manual becomes very important if you don't want to destroy your things. Hey, listen, God has given us a manual for life that becomes very important. And he tells us to continue in his word. That means that you will never get away from the word of God. But every day of your life, you will continue to consult and continue in the word of God because it is important. It is truth. And he tells us that one of the conditions to being a disciple, being a follower of Jesus Christ, is to continue in his word. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter number 4. 1 Timothy chapter number 4. And as you're turning there, uh, the book of 1 Timothy was written as uh, Paul was encouraging young Timothy uh, in the things that he should do. And, and 1 Timothy is a wonderful book. And, and there's some things I want to pull out of here uh, in chapter number 4, 1 Timothy chapter 4. And look with me in verse number 6. As Paul is giving uh, instruction to Timothy, there are several things that he mentions. And one of those in chapter 4 that he mentions repetitively is that of doctrine. What is doctrine? Doctrine is the teaching of the word of, 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 of anything, really. We're, we're going to use it specifically as it pertains to the word of God. And so uh, we find the teaching. In 1 Timothy chapter number 4, in verse number 6, the Bible says this, If thou put the brethren, Paul again is encouraging Timothy, and he's telling him this, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. So Paul is telling him, he's saying, hey, Timothy, I want you to continue to teach people the doctrine and the words of faith that you have already learned because they're important. Jump down with me to verse number 13. He says this, well, go to verse number 12. We'll kind of grab the context. Let no man despise thy youth. Be thou an example of believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. And again, that is the word of God. As you have received it, make sure that you pay attention to the doctrine. Go with me to verse number 16. He says, take heed unto thyself, uh, continue, uh, take heed unto thyself uh, and unto the doctrine, continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. And the Apostle Paul is giving Timothy, hey, it is important that you maintain the doctrine, the teachings of the Word of God. Let's go back, as we think about this, go back to John chapter number, uh, chapter number 8 and verse number 31. He says this, he says, if ye continue in my word. Hey, listen, that's the doctrine. And listen, it becomes important for, for us as Christians, not just for the pastor, not just for the teachers, not just for, uh, for, for those who are responsible in church, but for every person who is saved. Remember the context who he's talking to. He turned to the believers, to those that had trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, and he said to them, if ye continue in my word. And it becomes important for us to understand the doctrine of the Word of God. 
Does that mean that we're going to know everything? No, we're not going to know everything. I don't know everything. I know many good preachers that have been, they would tell you, they don't know everything. And the first man that tells you he knows everything is a liar. Don't trust him. The reality is we don't know everything. But can I tell you this morning, we ought to know the basics of the truth of the word of God and the doctrines. There are certain doctrines that are important that we ought to know. And Jesus Christ himself is telling them, he say, hey, you ought to continue in my word. I want you to notice not only the fact that he sets a condition of being in the word of God and understanding the truths of the word of God. But I want you to notice this. He says this. He says this word, continue. That means there's no end to it. Hey, in our lifetime, we just continue. It doesn't matter if you were saved at five years old. It doesn't matter if you were saved at 35 years old. It doesn't matter if you were saved at 55, at 85, but that you would continue in the Word of God from the place that you got in, that you would continue until the day of your death, that we would remain faithful in the Word of God. And he says, you do that, you're my disciple. And he wants us to continue in the word of God. We're talking about finding freedom. The first step to finding freedom is faith in Jesus Christ that is salvation. The second step in finding freedom is following Jesus. In other words, hey, being involved in his word and continuing in the things that God has given us. Hey, we've got to continue. We've got to be faithful. We've got to follow through and stay following the word of God. Notice this in verse number 32. He says this, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Listen, you'll find freedom. Where? In the truth. In the truth of the word of God. He says, you'll find freedom. The truth shall make you free. Praise the Lord for that freedom. Where is it found? It's found in the word of God. Listen, the freedom from what? From false doctrine. Uh, you know, I, there, we don't have time to get into that, but there is so much false doctrine out there. You turn on uh, the radio, you, the world, the, 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 the TV, the radio, the internet is flooded with preaching and teaching. Some of it good, some of it questionable, and some of it unquestionably bad. And, and all of it sounds really good. Every one of them present their case and make good arguments for what they are saying. And by the way, let me just say this. Most people who are wrapped up in, in false uh, religions and cults, uh, uh, they're logical people that arrive to those conclusions under logical arguments. They're not ignorant people. They're educated people many times. But they've been led astray. And they've swallowed a lot of things that are not written in the Word of God. They're not, uh, they're not the truth of the Word of God. 
And so understand this, that finding freedom is freedom from false doctrine. Understand who he was talking to. There was a bunch of religious Jewish zealots that were there. Some possibly who had trusted in Jesus Christ as their own personal savior. The Bible says many believed on him. And so he turned to them and he said, hey, listen, you, if you continue in my word, uh, then, hey, you'll be called my disciples. And if you call my disciples, hey, the truth will set you free. There's, there's steps that he is following. And he's saying, hey, you want to break free of your religious yoke of bondage that you're under. Hey, follow my words. You know what the majority of the New Testament that's written, the Pauline epistles, you know what they're doing? They're combating false doctrine. The entire book of Galatians is to help because the, the Jewish Christians were, were overtaking the Gentile Christians and saying, all right, now you got to live by the law. And so uh, the Apostle Paul was saying, listen, that you don't have to put the Gentile Christians under the yoke of bondage of the Jewish law. That's not necessary. Uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, what was he doing? He was straightening out all kinds of crazy teachings that they had and things that were not right. The book of Romans, he sets forth doctrine. And I'm just telling you, uh, time and time again throughout the Pauline epistles, he is writing and explaining, these are the things that we do. It's all written in the Word of God. And we need to study, we need to learn, we need to understand those things because when we follow the Word of God, we'll find freedom from false doctrine. Not only false doctrine, because he says, uh, ye shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. But notice this as well in our text. You'll find freedom from the bondage of sin. Look with me in verse number 33. And they answered him, we be Abraham's seed. And we were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Listen, he was saying, they, they were upset. They said, we, we're, we're not in bondage. Which obviously was wrong. They were in bondage several times. They were one of the most glaring times. They were in bondage for 400 years in Egypt when God released them. They were in bondage when the Babylonians came and sacked Jerusalem. They were in bondage many times throughout history. Uh, so it's not even true. But in their pride and arrogance, we're, we're not in bondage to any man. When in reality, most people don't realize that sin ha has, uh, has enslaved them and they can't break free of it. Listen, Christian... I'm not talking about salvation. He's talking to believers. He's kind of split conversation because the, the Pharisees were upset and, uh, about what he had said. But he gives us a great truth that, listen, if, if we commit sin, we'll become enslaved to sin. You do not lose your salvation. Amen. Understand that. We're talking about conditions of discipleship, being a follower of Jesus Christ. And understand that a follower of Jesus Christ is somebody that is a disciple. Go to Romans chapter number 6 and, and we'll finish with this. Understand we're talking about the freedom from sin. Romans chapter 6 defines this very clearly for us. Romans chapter number 6. We don't have time to go through the whole chapter, but I'd encourage you to read it and study it as it's very clear. But the Bible says here in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 6. Romans 6, 6. The Bible says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, 
that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. If, if we were to, I heard this illustration so many years ago. If we were to have a funeral and have a, have a, a, a fellow that was laid out here and, and he's, he's dead, he's a corpse. He's not, he's dead. And, and if it was me, there we go, we'll, we'll use me. If it were me and you brought the biggest bowl of ice cream and you placed it right there on the coffin right in front of me, I'm not going to move. I'm not even going to, I'm not even able to think. I'm not going to be tempted by it, not one iota. If you cook a delicious steak, and man, it smells so good, and you set it there, I'm still not going to move because I'm dead. It's not going to tempt me. It's not going to persuade me. And he's saying, hey, listen, that we, Paul said, I die daily. He said that we need to crucify our flesh. The Bible, Jesus said it this way, that we need to deny ourselves and follow him. That means that we would set ourselves aside. We would set our fleshly desires aside. We would set everything, as Paul said, that we would die to self. That we'd be alive to Christ. And that this world would not tempt us. Look with me in verse number 16 as he continues. Know ye not, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, again, the teaching of the word of God, which was delivered you, being made, then made free from sin, ye become the servants of righteousness. Finding freedom starts with faith in Jesus Christ. The next step is following God. If you live for your flesh, you'll not find freedom. Amen. I'm not saying you're not saved. There's two separate things. There is salvation. And then there's following the Lord Jesus Christ, being an actual disciple and saying, I desire to follow God with my life. And sometimes that comes and goes. You look at the disciples' lives. They had times they were, they were good and other times not so good. And I'm just saying that, hey, sometimes we go through those things, but we ought to follow God with our life. And you know what? You'll find freedom. You'll find freedom because it's found in Christ. It's found through serving Him. There's no greater master than Jesus Christ and serving Him with your life, with every head bowed and every eye closed as we stand to our feet. Finding freedom starts with faith, follows the Lord Jesus Christ, and results in ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Praise the Lord for freedom. Father, I pray that you'd speak to hearts as only you can. God, I pray that you'd help us 
to follow you with our life. God, I know that the world tempts us. I know that the world pulls on us. And God, as I said in the beginning, that freedom is under attack on a constant daily basis. And spiritual freedom is in attack, under attack on a constant daily basis in our lives. God, I pray that you would help us to live crucified lives where we die to self and we follow you. God, I pray that you'd speak to hearts as only you can. Father, if there's one that does not know you as their personal Savior, God, I pray that today they would put their faith and trust in you. Father, we'll thank you for that. We'll give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, if God's spoken to your heart, the altars are open. Maybe you just want to say, God, I, I want to follow you. Help me to die to self. It's a struggle, I'll be honest with you. Every person that's, the Apostle Paul said, the things that I would do, those things I do not. And the things that I, I, I want to do, those are the things I don't do. The Apostle Paul himself struggled with his flesh. The reality is we will struggle. We need to ask God to help us to be faithful followers continuing in his, in his truth. Maybe you just want to thank God for your salvation. Maybe you want to thank Him for the freedom. Maybe you want to thank Him for the nation that we have and the freedom that we have thus far to preach the Word. It's a blessing. Whatever the need as the piano plays, the altar's open.